of using voice as an interface. Um, but but to me, that's that's really really exciting. I think there's so much uh, opportunities moving forward for many many different reasons. Uh, I do think that voice technology will become really prevalent as we move into more and more screenless uh, devices. Uh, I can think of, you know, if we dive into the metaverse and, and you, you don't have your hands free and menu systems aren't the same, you know, with using a, a mouse to, to, to select your input. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Matt Patrician. He's the CEO of a company called Query. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about voice as an interface to geospatial data and geospatial functionality. Just before we get started today, I want to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Regrid. So Regrid are the parcel data people for the US. So think of parcel data as being the the legal boundaries of properties. And America is made up of these legal boundaries and they have owners, they have assessments, they have current land use. And these boundaries surround everything, homes, parks, commercial buildings, farms, wild places, everything. And I think Regrid summarized this really nicely on their website. They say, if it's not happening in the middle of a street, it's happening on a parcel. So if you're interested in this kind of data for the US, Regrid is the place to go. They have over 150 million parcel boundaries that covers 99% of the US population. And this is complete with standardized schemas, normalized land use classifications, persistent universal IDs, and over 120 property and tax assessment attributes. So a couple of things are worth noting here. Um, Firstly, you can just go to the website and check this out. So if you go to app.regrid.com, they have a a web application there, a web map. You can click around and get an idea of, of what the data looks like, the coverage they have, that kind of thing. And I love the fact that it's super transparent. Sometimes I go to these data companies' websites and and have a look, and it can be pretty difficult to figure out what things cost, but this is not the case with Regrid. So if you're looking for parcel data for the US, I'll put a link to Regrid in the show notes to make it a little bit easier for you to find them. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. So you've got this really amazing, I guess we could call it a side hustle. It's a business called Query. It's a voice interface to geospatial data and a this is what I want the main topic of the conversation to be about. But I think before we get there, perhaps you could just introduce yourself to the listeners and, and tell us how you got involved in, in geospatial. Hi, Daniel. Uh, thanks for having me on the program. Really appreciate being here. And uh, yeah, my name is Matt Patrician, and I am the CEO and, and co-founder of, of Query. Um, and I've been in the geospatial industry for almost 20 years now. Uh, most of that time has been spent in the public sector, working in IT as a GIS specialist, GIS web specialist, and a supervisor. So I've worked really closely with large teams across uh, municipalities, building solutions to help them answer you know, their questions using geospatial technology and data. And I've spent a, a lot of my time working with and building up open data programs for municipalities. Okay, so, so how does this link into building a voice assistant? What, what was it that you saw that made you think that this, that this is going to be a good business? This is something that could work. This is a technology that I can bring to the world that will make a difference. What was it that you saw there? You know, originally I, I saw the, the concept of using voice technology through uh, Alexa-enabled devices from a, a product that had been built in uh, or at Johns Creek, Georgia, uh, they had put together a, a solution that packaged some information 
um, using GIS technology, GIS data, and allowed their citizens to use that Alexa-enabled their Alexa-enabled devices to ask a certain set of questions. So I saw that and thought that was really really interesting. Uh, it was a really great idea to use technology that everybody has uh, in their homes and to sort of trick them into using geospatial technology without them knowing it, right? Because, you know, using online web maps and, and different GIS packages can be sort of tricky to, uh, to learn or sometimes, you know, isn't the most adoptable technology from a, from a citizen's perspective. But using voice technology to simply ask questions and get responses from your city, I thought it was really interesting. And so the, the connection for me was taking this idea and expanding it or scaling it up to build a platform that many municipalities could use to integrate their GIS with or any other business system for that matter and potentially integrate their open data. You know, I thought that was really intriguing and something that I could do relatively quickly to bring some new modern technologies or a new communication channel to citizens and, and, and also municipalities looking to do something innovative. Yes, well, so we, we covered a lot of ground there. I, I think maybe we should back up a little bit because you mentioned Alexa and we, we talked about this idea of a voice uh, interface to geospatial data, voice assistance. Uh, I'm based in Denmark. Could, could you describe to me what Alexa is or, or what a voice assistant is uh, for you? Sure. Uh, so Alexa is a a voice assistant technology that um, Amazon has created and developed and made available on uh, what's called smart speakers. So devices that are typically used to control aspects of your smart home. So users of these devices could say, you know, Alexa, turn on my living room lights or Alexa, play a song on Spotify. So this is pretty a pretty typical use case uh, of these devices. And essentially this capability could be extended to do much, much more than just controlling different aspects of your home. I thought it'd be a great idea to, to tap into that information, that service information that cities have that a lot of people are looking for, right? So would you mind just giving me an example of what one of those queries might sound like? Just, just so we get an idea of the kinds of uh, questions we could ask and the kinds of answers we could get back. And, and then I'd like to ask a few more questions around this voice assistant. But maybe we could start with the kinds of questions we can ask and the kinds of answers we can get back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of the, the, the things that we've been working on uh, with different municipalities and our core platform is creating this ability for any resident of a town, city, region to be able to ask things like, um, when will my garbage be picked up? So you might say, uh, Alexa, ask Q11, when will my garbage be picked up? Or you could say, you know, hey, Google, using the Google Assistant, hey, Google, why wasn't my garbage picked up? Or using um, geospatial sort of awareness, you, you might ask, uh, you know, Alexa, ask Q11 what's being built nearby. Or you could take that further and say, Alexa, ask Q11 what's being built within five kilometers of, of my home. Okay, so yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Google as well, the Google Assistant. So we've got these these two big brands that are they're building these voice assistants, these these smart home uh, um, assistants, and we, we can ask them questions. So you have somehow built a piece of logic that sits inside... Alexa sits inside the, the Google Voice Assistant and acts as an interface, I'm assuming, to a municipality's spatial database. A am I on the right track so far? 
Uh, yeah, that's that's close. What we we have is um, two two aspects to what we're building. On one side, we've built what we call the Query Cloud, which is our platform that allows municipalities to integrate their their GIS system with through web services and or, or APIs. And then on the other side, we've built custom voice applications, which for Amazon Alexa, they're called skills. And then in the Google Assistant framework, they're called actions. So we've built um, our own skill and action for both of those brands. Uh, we, we've named it Q11. That's, that's sort of a, a take on municipalities call center and the phone number 311 that a resident would call typically to uh, speak to a call center representative and, and ask questions and get information about their municipality, about their home and their property. So we've got this, this, this skill and an action now that we've created and it's available on uh, each platform's marketplace. And a user is able to engage with that voice application on whatever device they're most comfortable with. It connects to the query cloud, which then connects into the, the, the individual municipalities business systems and provides that information back to the user. Okay, so query or Q11, sorry, is that a bunch of these different skills or actions? Can we think of them as, as functions or is it one skill, one action that does a lot of different things? Do, do you understand where, where I'm going with this? Sure. You can kind of consider a, a skill or an action as an application uh, or an app on your mobile device. So an, an app could be built for one specific purpose or like you, you mentioned, it could do multiple different functions. So in Q11's case, it does multiple functions. Um, we've tried to build a broad set of capabilities within Q11 so that a municipality could pick and choose which capabilities or which business systems or data endpoints they would like to connect to it. So it could be a, it could be a waste collection rest endpoint. They could integrate data or information about their members of council, their wards or districts. They could expose an events calendar uh, as an endpoint. And then they decide which ones they want to connect to Q11. And, and then when users interact with Q11, it really depends on you know what city they live in. It uses their location of where they're using their device to understand their location and which municipality to connect to. And in that way, uh, we're able to build that sort of one app that does many, many things, but each municipality can integrate what they feel is appropriate for their residents. Thank you very much for walking us through that. I think you did a really, a, a really great job of sort of giving us a, a picture of what the infrastructure looks like. I guess what, what I'm curious about is how do you, you insert that logic uh, that geospatial logic, so close to me, near, far, around, in those kind of queries that you're making? Because I'm, I'm assuming that these aren't things that we find in the database. We have to be more specific about that. I, I think in one of the examples you gave earlier, you said, what, what's happening around me? And then another example of a query that you could ask Q11 was, what's happening within five kilometers of me? So that five kilometers makes more sense to me. But if a, if a user asks, what is close to me? What is near to me how do you how do you turn that into a logical statement that can be executed against a, a database right that's a, that's a great question daniel uh so google and amazon in their respective voice platforms use something called nlp which stands for natural language processing and what that does is it it takes the 
the information or, or the words that people speak uh, ingests them and, and transforms them into, into text and information that can be uh, turned into data and passed forward to other APIs. Uh, so other systems that can take that information and pass it on to another system to query information back. So what we do with things like the, the phrase, what's being built nearby, we can take that, that phrase, uh, which is called an utterance, and then we create uh, synonyms for that phrase to handle variations of what a user might say. And we use that information to train the model in Google and, and Amazon Alexa so that uh, we can take in any sort of form of that phrase and we know that it means this one thing. So we take that one thing nearby and we use that inside the query cloud framework to set a, a variable. So when it's very generic and someone says nearby, we, we set this variable to say, let's say two and a half kilometers. And then we, we take that parameter and we pass it to the ArcGIS feature service API with some more information, so construction projects. And we're able to pull back all the construction projects within 2.5 kilometers of the requester's current location. That is really cool. That, I think this is brilliant. I'm wondering, I'm not sure if you can answer this question, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. I'm wondering if you know if uh, Alexa and Google, if they have, if they take into consideration a, a regional understanding of near, far, the, these these geospatial terms. Like, um, So I, I live in Denmark, and, and if you have to drive more than an hour and a half, it's far away. You know, that, that, That's a long way away. If you live in Australia and have to drive an hour and a half, it's close. That there's a regional understanding of distance there, of time, of effort. Do you have any idea if if there's different regional models that that are executed depending on where my device is in the world? So I, I think that the platforms themselves don't have that built into them inherently. That that sort of logic, I guess, or understanding of a regional difference needs to be built into your skill when you develop it. So you, you do have to have some understanding of the region that you're working with to be able to provide uh, contextual information back. So uh, for, uh, for instance, would be uh, where, I, where I am in uh, just outside of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, we have the concept of, of a municipality broken into geographies called wards, and each ward has a member of council. Whereas one of our customers in the States, they've got the concept of districts. And they've got uh, multiple members of council that represent single districts. So what we do is in the query cloud, we've got this, this interface that a municipal administrator would use when they log into the query cloud. There's a bit of work for them to, to hook their data feeds, uh, the REST endpoints into the query cloud so that our skills and actions can work with it. And when they're doing that, we give them options. So we know that there's some regional differences. So we provide them those options that they can select. And then those options become parameters within the query that we use and within the, the message that we, that we get Google Assistant or Alexa to say back to the user. Okay, so so my understanding is now that when I ask a question like near, close, far, a, a spatial query like this, um, the the voice assistant is understanding. Okay, th this is distance that, that that we're talking about now, and then you use that to set a, a, 
or a standard parameter somewhere in, in your in your query that's executed against the database. That's that's exactly it, right? And so if somebody asks for a very specific distance, we'll use that information. But if they've left it more generic, then we have to default into something. Um, and so we really don't have a good sense of those regional differences unless our clients or the municipalities who've um, subscribed to the Query Cloud, they tell us when they hook their data up. You talked about giving the answers back. So I'm assuming all of this information also needs to be in the database. So what kind of answer would I get back to the query? Um, what, what construction is happening around me? When a, a user or a resident were to ask that question, what's being built around me, the information they, they would expect back would be, you know, there's a residential building being built within two kilometers from you, or uh, there is a parking lot being built uh, within your, in your neighborhood or something like that. Another instance that, that makes a lot more sense maybe to, on a personal, to, a, to an individual about their property might be things like, uh, you know, asking what is the zoning for my property or what are the permitted uses for my property? This information, you know, can be really difficult to find for, for anyone who goes to a city's website and tries to look it up, or for that matter, looking it up uh, just on Google alone. You know, you're trying to find that information. What what we do is we're able to provide that information back instantly. Well, for your property, the permitted uses are, you know, there's a single residential building allowed. You're allowed three outbuildings um, three meters away from your back fence. Uh, things like that. Okay, thank you very much. I, I, that that makes sense. Um, so it. At the moment, we're talking about asking questions and getting an answer back. Um, is it possible now or could you imagine a time where you can also get notifications for, from one of these smart devices where something happens, you asked, can you notify me if this type of construction happens around me? Can you let me know when the bus is close to my stop? Please tell me. Will that kind of thing be possible as well, where it was more of a push notification from your smart home device? Yes, that's uh, something that is, is it's on our roadmap today. Uh, our first use case was to push out reminders to residents when the, uh, the, the, the garbage truck was, was on their road or heading their direction. As, uh, push out a reminder to their device, uh, reminding them to, to make sure they get their bins out to the road. Uh, even so going so far as reminding them that, well, this week is recycling week, or this week is uh, make sure you get your, your green bins out for organic waste. So it's definitely on our on our roadmap, and and we're really excited about tapping into that API from both of those platforms. I guess this is a follow on question from that. Up until now, we've been asking about reading from the database. Is it or will it be possible to write to the database as well? I'm thinking about some of these um, uh, apps you see where you re report damage, report a, a street light that's broken, report a pothole, infrastructure that needs to be repaired, that kind of thing. Would it be possible through this interface to write to a database as well? Yes, that is that's totally possible. Uh, in fact, we are developing that today for one of our customers where we're hooking into their their database through the ArcGIS REST endpoint and they have i would guesstimate around 50 different types of deficiencies that they're they're letting their their residents report through voice technology anything like there's a funny smell when i turn on my taps or asking you know questions about how do i 
how do I turn off my water or, or, or turn on my water? And all that information is recorded through that feature service REST endpoint into their database. So it's been really interesting doing these, what we call the integrating with the geo forms, taking it from that text entry through your mobile device and doing it through voice. And, and what's really interesting is a lot of the data inputs or the, the form or the fields in that, in that form can be entered automatically based on information that you've got in your Google profile or your Amazon profile, including your location, your phone number, and, and your email address. Oftentimes when we make a form and we ask people to fill it out, we, we provide some, some standard choices. Like, I, I don't want you to make up something. I want you to choose between these 10 things. Is that the same kind of approach that, that you're taking? Right. So avoiding data quality issues you know, when you're entering that information as well. Uh, it's a combination. So we, we these forms that we're building today have some free form where it captures the user's input as a large text blob and stores that in the database. But we also do provide those options. So it's pretty easy to provide a certain set of options to choose from. What gets difficult is if that pick list per se has more than 10 options because it gets quite monotonous to, to listen to those options, whether it's three at a time or one at a time and you're saying next, next, back, uh, select. So it gets a little bit pedantic when you're working with it that way. But if there's a few options, it's, it is pretty easy to deliver you know, a small set of things for people. I, th- I think the general rule is people can remember you know, three to four things before they, they, they tend to forget. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. So you, you've talked about uh, connecting to a, an ArcGIS uh, feature service, I, I believe you said. Is there any reason why this couldn't work with, with a, an open source uh, solution? No, there, there, no reason at all. We've connected with the ArcGIS platform simply because uh, Query is an emerging partner with Esri Inc. Uh, so that was where we focused our efforts first. But there's nothing that would stop us from scaling that integration or extending it to an open open data or sorry, an open GIS platform. Anything that has a, a geo JSON endpoint, we, we pass information to Google geocoders and we can write to XML, we can read XML. We're, we're integrated with uh, are you familiar with the like GTFS, the general transit feeds specification? So we, we definitely integrate with plenty of different platforms, whether it's GIS, COTS, or free and open source, or, or plenty of other business systems as well. So you're talking about integrating with, with Google there. I think you, you mentioned using Google to, to do the geocoding. Have you ever thought that, do you see Google and Amazon as competitors in the space? Is there a reason why they couldn't just build this themselves? Because as I'm thinking that they're pretty smart. They have a lot of software developers and some of this data anyway is uh, open. Like, in, like councils want to get this data out to people. So some of these APIs anyway are open to the world. Do, do, you, do you think about that side of things? Do, do you worry that Google or Amazon might show up and, and, and do this? The thought definitely crosses my mind. However, when we take a look at the sort of the, the open data journey that that municipalities have been on for for many years now there still isn't a standard for zoning information munis um, wards and, and members of council information um, service request information there, there isn't standards like there is for like i mentioned just now that the gtfs that general transit feed spec so that being said i, I don't worry too much that amazon or google will be able to consume 
all of this information that's shared openly by municipalities because there is no standard. And what we've built with the Query Cloud is that integration point that cities can connect to, and it doesn't matter if they're standardized or not. What they do is they connect their REST endpoint and map to their data spec on the fly. So it really doesn't matter. What has been the biggest challenge in building this? Because I think voice assistants in themselves are a relatively new idea. And I think they, they work really well sometimes, but I hope that we can all agree that we're, we're, we're just at the start. Like it's not, a, at least in my mind, not, not a really mature uh, technology. So again, what, what is the biggest challenge? Is it that side of it? Has it been the te- technical aspect of it? Building and developing the, these different pieces of infrastructure that you need in, in order to, to create a product that people can use? Has the difficult bit been convincing people that this is a great idea? Or has the difficult bit been convincing users to use it? Because again, that this is something new. I think a lot of people are used to web maps now, to interacting through a, you know, a, a visual interface, and you're asking them to do something different. If you had to choose between those things, which one was the most difficult, do you think? Well, first, I'll agree with you. Um, we are at the very beginning of, of using voice as an interface. Um, but, but to me, that's, that's really, really exciting. I think there's so much uh, opportunities moving forward for many, many different reasons. Uh, I do think that voice technology will become really prevalent as we move into more and more screenless uh, devices. Uh, I can think of, you know, if we dive into the metaverse and, and you, you don't have your hands free and menu systems aren't the same, you know, with using a, a mouse to, to, to select your input, um, you're going to need to use your voice more and more. So I'm really excited about where voice is going to go. Today, to answer the question about the challenge, you're right. Uh, it's taken years for, for cities to build the awareness and grow their adoption for their their web maps that they that they put out. I mean, municipalities have tons and tons of web maps that they share with their community members, hoping that they'll use them. I mean, there's a, who's my counselor? What ward am I in? What's the zoning for my property? All municipalities have the same sort of web maps that they publish on their, their websites. So it's taken a long time to build up the adoption and build the awareness that they're there and get people to use them. But everybody has, whether it's a smart speaker or some other device uh, sitting on a shelf that they got for Christmas or they got when they went to the bank, when they opened up a a new checking account or in their hand, they've got a a mobile device that's got voice enabled on it. This is something that I think people are more comfortable with than having to go and learn how to use a web map or even find the web map in the first place. Some of this stuff is, is so buried on a city's website that it takes them you know, a, a long time to find that information before they can even use it. So using voice, it's quick and simple, and it's just like asking a question and getting a response back. Now, the challenge of getting people to, people to know that this is there and to use it, that that's the biggest challenge. To make things sticky, or it, they need to be reusable. And that, I think, is is our biggest challenge. Because, you know, when you, when you think, you know, what's the zoning for my property? You're not going to ask that every day or every week or every month. You're going to ask that once. So how do we get that sort of that awareness that this capability exists and that you can use it for many, many different things uh, so that you do come back and use it often and make it part of you know how you engage or interact with your municipality? Our, our biggest goal when we built this uh, at the beginning, our, our main goal was to try and help municipalities lower the call volumes that they receive at their call centers and shorten the wait times for citizens when they call. 
there's the municipalities, they, they take in so many calls and, and during this pandemic where people didn't have the ability to show up at a, at a, at a desk at city hall, um, a lot of that service moved either online or, or, or to the phone. And so, you know, I think a lot of municipalities have been struggling in the past couple of years to provide the same level of service that they defined two years ago. So our goal was to create this other channel to interact and engage and communicate back and forth between city and resident. And, um, you know, I think uh, working in partnership in, with these municipalities, we can get the word out there. If you could design the killer app for this, the, the thing that would make everybody wake up and, and take notice of what you're doing and the potential of it, is there one specific functionality? Is there one app you would like to be able to build or one very specific problem you would like to be able to solve for people? Well, Daniel, there, there are so many small things that could make such a big difference on their own or even bigger together. But oh, how to choose one? I think... An interesting concept is just simply what's happening around me, right? A lot of times, you, you know, especially after being locked up for uh, for two years during the pandemic, so many people are going to be ready to head out back into their communities looking for interesting things to do. So to be able to ask your device, whether it's at home or on your mobile device when you're out and about, or if you're in your vehicle driving around, Simply saying what's happening around me or what can I do downtown, I think is a really interesting, uh, interesting concept. And I, and I think it's something that uh, a lot of people would get a lot of use out of. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine the database where it, it, you know, we have a table in there that's saying things happening in town. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to imagine <laughs> what, what, uh, what, what database you'd be able to pull from that would tell you those things. I, I wonder if you if you'll get to the point where query points at other data sources as well, like where if there's social media updates, if there's geolocated tweets, if, if there's that kind of thing, we start pulling that information in and figure out, well, what is happening around me in, in real time? Absolutely. That, that's a great, great idea. Um, you know, at first, I think municipalities and their economic development offices have that information, right? Their role is to shine the light on the interesting things that are happening in their communities to draw people in uh, to spend their bucks. So that's, that would be the database that we probably connect with at first. But to be able to reach out to other applications, even Yelp. Yelp has an open API. It'd be very simple to tap into Yelp to see, you know, where can I go get a slice of pizza, a five-star slice of pizza, that kind of thing. It's definitely doable. So you've been working on this for a while now, and it sounds like you've, you've seen a lot of success. Um, and I think you've... And I think there's some really, really interesting use cases for this, especially with some of these new functionalities that you're working on. When do you think this is not the right answer? You know, I, I, and I think that my answer might change as query starts to mature and, and learn and grow. But today, I think it's not the right answer when you're, you're trying to replicate the web front-end experience. Voice is very different. And we came up, we, we, we came up against this uh, early last year where we, we had a, a, a solution that we were trying to develop with voice that had a very um, complicated and large menu system that we had to, that users had to navigate uh, on screen. And our first approach was, was trying to replicate that. And, you know, halfway through it, we just realized it just was not working uh, the same way. So we had to really rethink and re-engineer the way that somebody would interact with this information using their voice. So, yeah, I think I think that's 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 
you know, where it doesn't make sense, where you've got a really large, complicated menu system, it, it, it gets a lot really difficult to first program that and, and train and model for that, but also for the end user to interact with it. Uh, that, that makes sense, especially with the interface side of things. I think a lot of the web maps that I've seen anyway, they, they're there's so much in them. There's so much and so many options. And people, are, you know, they're almost drowning in functionality, drowning in data. And I could see if you tried to replicate that with a voice interface, that I mean, it, it, would, be, it would be awful. It would be, there, there's no way of finding what you actually want. And a lot of those interfaces too, I guess they rely on the visual element. There's um, thumbnails and there's imagery to look at and there's pictures of things and data and, and, and graphs and things like this that, that are visible on the screen that help you navigate. Yeah, and I could, uh, clearly with, with voice, that would be an issue. I, I, I wanted to ask you, are you working full-time on, on this project, on, on this business? So as I mentioned, uh, Query, it, this is our startup. And so we're working on it. Uh, it's it's an evenings and weekend weekend project. Uh, it started as a as a sort of a passion project, you know, doing something technical or something innovative, looking looking for new ways of doing things and using new technology is sort of it's always been my my sports. So uh, I, I, instead of watching you know my favorite sporting team, I'll spend my time uh, in the evenings and weekends working on um, on query. My hope is definitely to grow the business and, and make it uh, more of a full-time venture. And the reason I'm asking is because I think uh, there'll be some people out there that are listening to this and they'll be in a similar situation and the burning question will be, when can I go full-time on this? You know, when can I go all in on this? Do you have, you don't have to put any numbers, but do you, do you have a plan? Do you have certain goals that you need to meet before you, before you go all in? And if so, perhaps you could describe what, what some of those goals are. It's 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 a really good question. Um, I mean, the easiest thing I think uh, to say, or the, my best response is, it's very it's got to be very unique to the individual. Um, so I can't comment on everybody's personal situation, on um, what their day job might be, or or you know their family situation, or the, anything else, right? Um, it, it really is an individual decision. What, what, I, what I can say is, though, is if you have the sort of the passion uh, and I guess the tenacity to keep going with something, um, you, you'll know when it's time to go full time or all in. Um, I, I think you'll just know the timing will be right uh, or, or something will happen where it, you, you'll get some sort of breakthrough contract where you're going to need more time than that you can put in, uh, you know, in evenings and weekends. And that's going to be a big jumping point for you is that large contract. Uh, and from there, it's only going to snowball or spiral uh, upwards. Um, so you can use that experience to, to grow. And, and I, I just really think you'll know. Um, you know, for us, it, it that goal. Uh, we we build our goals each year, and and we know we know what we're aiming towards. But as you grow your company and bring in more staff members and and collaborators, uh, that goal also is a bit of a moving target because um, you need to be able to responsibly um, you know fund the company and be able to pay staff uh, and and you know all those other things that go along with running a business. So I think you might have covered a little piece of this question in your, in your last answer there. But I'm curious what you would say to somebody else that, that had an idea like you did, um, that was going to start something and 
and wasn't interested in, in another hobby. This, this was going to be a, a, a business for them. You're a couple of years into building your business. What would you say to that person that was thinking about starting and they knew that they wanted it to be a business? Well, I think I, I would um, I would advise them to to start. So if they hadn't yet, write down your idea, build your business plan, think about your network because you're going to rely on your network. Who do you know? Who who can you confide in and share some of your idea with uh, and trust? Find yourself somebody who has done it. Uh, get like I said, get yourself a mentor. That's something that I did very early. Say back in late 2019, is is I I phoned up an industry contact of mine who I knew had started their own business in the geospatial industry and had seen a lot of success. And so I wanted to pick their brains and find out as much information from them as possible. So I, I called them up and asked if they would uh, have lunch with me. And they agreed. And so I was managed to get a lunch with, with, this, with this person. And I asked as many questions as I could. And I listened. And a lot of the information that I got back from them was scary. Uh, it wasn't flashy. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't necessarily the, the the message or information that I wanted to hear. Like, I mean, building a business is not easy. It's lonely. Nobody cares about your success except for you. Uh, all these things that you kind of don't really think of, and and it's really important to hear that and understand that that it's going to take a lot of your time, and you're going to get rejected and feel rejection often. But you need to be able to push through all that if you believe in your idea. Uh, and so keep going with it. That is some really sound advice. I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I, I, I want to say thank you very much. Thank you very much for your openness and for your honesty and for, for telling us about the, this amazing thing that you're building. I, I, I've really enjoyed hearing about it. I wonder if you could let the listeners know where they could go if they want to reach out to you and ask questions about this, if they want to try it out for themselves. Is there anywhere where we can point them towards? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter and direct message me and ask questions. Or if there's you want to collaborate, we're always open to hear new ideas and, and experiment often. Uh, you can also visit query.com. And so that's Q-W-H-E-R-Y.com. You can check out what we're up to, some of our projects and see some of our implementations. And you can contact us directly through there as well. And I mean, the last, last way to do it, you could simply ask uh, Alexa, open Q11. Matt, thanks very much. I really appreciate your time and I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks very much, Daniel. It's been a real pleasure being on the show. So once again, a big thank you to our sponsor, Regrid. If you are looking for password data for the US, regrid.com would be a great place to start. I'll put a link to them in the show notes to make it a little bit easier for you to find. On a side note about sponsorships, I don't have many sponsorships on this, this podcast. There, there's, a, there's a very good reason for that. But when I do, I would really appreciate your support. I literally couldn't keep this podcast going without sponsors from time to time, without people like Regrid showing up and making it possible. Perhaps you're not ready to buy parcel data right now. Perhaps you, you don't need it. Perhaps you never will. But by supporting Regrid, you're, you're actually supporting this podcast. And that is, is greatly appreciated. Thank you. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Matt, the CEO of Query. And Query is spelled Q-W-H-E-R-Y.com if you want to check it out. So personally, I'm really excited about using voice as an interface in general, about using speech as a way of interacting with, with the world. So this episode sparked a few ideas and I, I did a little bit of research and, and I want to share with you some of the things that I've discovered. So in no particular order, 
Let's start off with Matt's idea of this killer app. Remember that question? I asked him if you could, you know, one if you could invent one app, what would it be? What would be that killer app that would make everybody stand up and take notice? And his answer was, you know, show me things around me. So basically, show me stuff relative to me. What is near me? What is happening around me? And I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if there's any stats on that. I wonder if there's any data about that kind of search volume. So there's a couple of really interesting tools out there on the web and they let you and they give you stats about search volume. So if I go to one called Uber Suggest, you can try this as well. So this is a free tool, you get three or four tries. Normally it dramatically underestimates the search volume, but but listen to this. So I typed in keywords near me and this is for English and and the location is for the, the US. So at the top of the suggested keywords was restaurants near me, 24.9 million searches a year. Goodwill near me, 1.5 million searches. Near me, 400,000 searches. Apartments near me, three bedroom, 50,000 searches. Can recycling near me, 20,000 searches. So again, these tools usually dramatically underestimate the search volume, but isn't that interesting? People are searching for the, these kinds of keywords. But we don't know if that is text search or voice search. So here are a few statistics I discovered about voice search. In 2016, Google released some statistics around voice search. And back then, the numbers were something like 20% of all searches that happened on mobile devices were voice searches. And I think with smart home devices, I think that this is going to, that percentage of voice searches is going to increase. Another thing I want to point you towards or bring your attention to, I should say, is something called GPT-3. So GPT-3 stands for the Generative Pre-Trained Transformer 3. What a beautiful name. So basically what this thing does is it uses deep learning to produce human-like text and it can be used for a bunch of other things. But I think one of the most interesting uses of this uh, GPT-3, at least for, for the geospatial world, is, is this one by Microsoft. So GPT-3 is used in certain Microsoft products to translate conventional language into formal computer code. And I will link to a blog post all about this written in 2021. And, and it's really interesting. It's well worth checking out. So basically what this blog post is saying, what this article is saying, is that you can talk to the computer and it will write the code for you. So the examples that are given here are SQL statements. Um, but, but I think this quote from, from the article sort of gives you an idea of, of where this is going or where this might be going. Listen to this. Using an advanced AI model like this can help our low-code tools become even more widely available to an even bigger audience by truly becoming what we call no-code. So we're not simply talking about a drag-and-drop editor here. We're talking about speaking to the machine and having the machine convert that into a statement, into an SQL statement that you can execute against the database and get a result back. It's pretty incredible. Anyway, I'll link to that in the show notes. So one of the things Matt was talking about was that this, uh, these, these smart home devices, they know where you are. They, they understand where they are in the world. So queries like what is happening around me will be based on the location that it knows. Um, if you haven't already, go back and listen to a previous episode called Where Does the Blue Dot Come From? It's all about how Google figures out what our location is. All the different strategies Google is using and other large companies are using to figure out what is the location and the orientation of your mobile device. So think about that. Having a really good understanding of what your location is and your orientation. Where are you looking? Coupled with this idea of voice search. 
Another podcast episode that you might find interesting is called Geotagged Audio, Another Way of Augmenting Reality. So you're going to have to scroll quite far down on your feet to find this. It was published in 2019, but I, I thought this was absolutely amazing. So it's all about creating an, an audio experience based on location. I'll put links to, to all of this in the show notes so you can click through if you're interested. Okay, that's it for me. That's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. I'll be back again next week with another episode. I hope that you'll take the time to listen in then. And as always, you're more than welcome to reach out to me on social media. You can find me at Mapscaping on Twitter. You're also more than welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Or if you'd like to read the extremely detailed show notes we create for each episode, go along to mapscaping.com. Okay, that's it for me. We'll talk again next week. Bye.